Well, there they sat, two avowedly socialist multimillionaires in their multimillionaire mansion, driving their multi-millionaire cars around and talking about how tough it is to be a hard scrapple outsider. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Whittle here with Steve Green and Scott Ott. And this right angle about the unusual friendship between Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. What's unusual about it? Well, nothing. Turns out they're both renegades and outsiders. Who's the most of the renegade outsiders? Well, you'd think it might be Bruce Springsteen, but Barack Obama had to clear this up. Uh, he said, I joked with Bruce. I said, well, I don't know why a kid from New Jersey thinks he's an outsider, because now I'm an outsider. You know, you can definitely understand why Barack Obama is the outsider. In any event, that's thoroughly repulsive, but that was not the most disgraceful part of this interview of watching Bruce Springsteen there with the Me Street Band. It's all about something much, much worse than that. Uh, gentlemen, as the interview went on, the, 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 the statement was brought up by the interviewer that Bruce Springsteen performing with the late Clarence Clemens, the, the big guy, was just electric. Anybody who was even not a fan of Bruce Springsteen could see the dynamic and the chemistry going on between these people. And at this point, the former president uh, had this to say, so listen carefully. For years, Springsteen's E Street Band featured Clarence Clemens, who died in 2011. The chemistry between the big man and the boss is immortalized in newly restored footage of Springsteen's performance at the No Nukes concert at Madison Square Garden in 1979. You say in the podcast in the book that in many ways the most important story you ever told was you and Clarence on the stage together. It was not intellectual. It was emotional. It was the language of the heart. But it was incredibly visual. It was more valuable than the stories I wrote in my, in my music, you know. In an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? Yeah. And redemption. That's right. But most of your audiences were primarily white. And they can love Clarence when he's on stage, but if they ran into him in a bar, suddenly oh, uh, yeah. the N-word comes up. Yeah. And part of Bruce's music and part of my politics has been, no, no, you got to surface that stuff. You got to talk about it. Sunlight is yeah. the disinfectant, and if you talk about it, then you can reconcile in a true way, not in, not, right. in a, not in a phony way, but in a real way. Just in case you missed the nuance of that, here's what Barack Obama said while they were talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen playing with the uh, Clarence Clemens. Obama said, in an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation, right? And redemption. But most of your audiences were primarily white, and they can love Clarence when he's on stage. But if they ran into him into a bar, suddenly the N-word comes out. And Bruce Springsteen says, yeah. Okay. Uh, Steve... I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, but I've watched Bruce Springsteen play with Clarence Clemens, and I've watched Clarence Clemens play, and I've seen, let's just take Clarence as an example. I really enjoy watching him. He's a great musician. He's a great showman. He was a great saxophone player. And I thought that when he was on stage. And if he were to walk into a bar that I happened to be sitting in and, and Clarence Clarence walked in, I wouldn't go, wow, there is that unbelievably talented N-word. 
That would not be my first response. Would that be your first response, Steve? Because Barack Obama has simply stated that's what most white people who are, you know, the white fans of Bruce Springsteen, he basically said pretty much exactly that. Yeah, they like him on stage. But, you know, if they were to go back to bars, then the N-word would come out. What a contemptible lie. What a disgusting man. Absolutely. You know, uh, flashback to the late 70s, early 80s. I can't remember exactly when it happened, but one of my favorite 70s rock bands, ELO, disappeared from the scene. They just they just vanished. And they had these amazing road shows. It was the biggest road shows anybody had ever seen in the, in the 70s. They had like 800 semi-trucks to bring all their lights and their sound gear, and they were selling out stadiums, and it was amazing. And then the band just disappeared. Their, their money dried up because people found out that these giant productions were fake. It was all lights and pre-recorded music that ELO was robbing their fans of the, the live performance that they thought they were paying for with, the, with their hard-earned money, with their tickets. And as soon as audiences found out that ELO was lying to them, what they really thought of their own audiences, the audiences stopped showing. Well, is that going to happen to Bruce Springsteen, who sold out his entire fan base? He, I, I don't know if he actually believes it or not. Maybe he's just sucking up to Barack Obama because he's got the spine of a jellyfish. I don't know, Bruce. You tell me. Were you sucking up to Barack Obama, or do you really believe that your audience consists of N-words spouting racist, two-faced racists at that, who will go enjoy the show with the black man on stage, but, you know, who secretly loathe him if they ever had a chance to, to see him in, in, a, in a smaller venue, in a, in a bar or something. It's... It's just revolting, not just what Barack Obama does, but but Bruce Springsteen, who I've never been a fan of, but Bruce Springsteen just so casually selling out the very people that made him rich enough to share a stage with a former president of the United States. Yeah, and Bruce Springsteen's fans are hardworking outsiders, just like Barack Obama, who had to struggle through you know, attending the most expensive school in Hawaii and sitting out on the beach smoking doobies as the waves rolled in. Yeah. Who can compare with that degree of struggle and overcoming overcoming the harshness of life in in uh, in America? Uh, Scott, here's why I think this dynamic happened, because by accident. Somebody in this interview told the truth and. That's why Obama had to swing into action. They said it, it was it was I think it was uh, uh, Bruce who said it was it was a redemption. Uh, oh, this is a, a, actually Obama talking about it. Was He said in an ideal world, what Bruce and Clarence portrayed on stage was essentially a reconciliation. Right. And redemption instantly. But that's only what the illusion was, because when you get all of those white people who thought that this was a, a redemption, a, a reconciliation, it may have looked that way. But believe me, they're all still white supremacists, horrible, horrible people. The struggle continues and, and, and vote for us. This is the thing about it, Scott. I was there. I wasn't at that concert. When I say I was there, I mean, I was there in the 70s. I watched the society change. I watched it happen. I watched all in the family. I went through the whole thing. I went through I, I went through learning how um, how how 
All of these opinions could be challenged. Uh, I learned how Lionel Jefferson is often right and Archie Bunker's wrong. I learned about Maud. I learned about homosexuals. I learned about all this stuff. I had to change all my attitudes about all this stuff. I was there and that's what it was. It was a reconciliation. It was a redemption. And, and we were so close to closing this wound in the 70s. We were so close. You look at the things like the like the Dean Martin celebrity roast, where you would have uh, black guys and white guys making jokes about each other being black and white with nothing but the, the highest respect for each other and the affection and all the rest of it. And it was so close. And then along comes Barack Obama, who could have closed the deal. He could have he could have simply closed the deal. He could have said, well, whatever the background of this country is, I was elected president of the United States by the people of America. And most of the people that voted for me were white. So I can say with some certainty, we are over the reefs now and, and into the calm waters. But his entire attitude and his entire brand has been the opposite of that. I find this unbelievably repulsive. What do you think? Well, he openly confesses, although he doesn't use this term, that this is kind of his shtick. Um, he believes that bringing this to light, as he would say, um, is important for us so that then we can have true reconciliation. Now, the challenge with this is what he's bringing to light is something that happened in the late 1970s. So he's a little slow on the uptake. Of the, he's been changing the batteries in the flashlight for a while, I guess, and he finally got those batteries locked in. And now he, we can talk about the late 1970s. Um, I think I'm going to give uh, Bruce Springsteen a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because all he says in that section of the clip is, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't really say what he's saying, yeah, too. And I think at that point, it's really hard for you to go, no, Mr. President, that's not what I meant at all. Uh, but if you listen to the whole thing in context, Springsteen starts out answering the reporter by saying, uh, look, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what was happening between Clarence and I when we were on stage. It was emotional. It was like... I, he's saying, I had a bond with this man. I love this man. And and then the president takes it from being this personal, intimate moment of these two great performers who clearly loved each other and built each other up and takes that and, and abstracts it and, and turns it theoretical. And instead of, you know, it's kind of like that old joke about, you know, how liberals love people. They just don't love any particular person. You know, it's just like, let's take this and make it big picture what you just described. And you can see that nailed down if you watch a fuller context of the interview, because there's one moment when it appears that the president, the former president and um, the former rock star are doing a podcast or something. And uh, President Obama asks Bruce Springsteen about whether in uh, how was it in the 1970s to be traveling with an integrated band? And Springsteen just kind of pauses for a while. And then he says, uh, you know, I guess it's uh, it's kind of difficult to talk about about race. And I think what I really saw there was him going, I never really thought of it that way. 
Yes. Like, like That's I, I, much I, better than I thought. I'm okay. kind of, I'm kind of froze up here because I mean, clearly, I don't have any good racism stories come yes, to mind. Clearly, if Springsteen had had a, a long history of you know stopping at hotels and having desk clerks tell him that Clarence couldn't sleep with uh, in, in their suite of rooms, then then those stories would have poured out of him like water. But it just looked like he had not really contemplated. I'm not saying there was no racism in the 1970s. There's no racism now. There certainly was. There certainly is. But it's not in the same way that President Obama was trying to portray it. And then one final thing um, that I'd like to nail down here is I went back and looked at the list from the 1970s of the top selling musical act, or not the top selling, but the top hit making musical acts. These are the bands that had the most songs in the top 100 or in the top 10. And number one in the 1970s was Elton John. But I just went down the list of the top 20. And I said, gee, I wonder who was in that list. Uh, at number 17, Donna Summer. At number 14, Gladys Knight and the Pips. At number 13, Diana Ross. At number 11, Earth, Wind, and Fire. At number 10, Stevie Wonder. At number seven, the Jackson Five. And then the highest slotting one from this little sub list, believe it or not, at number six was James Brown. And I just think the president was attempting to redefine what actually happened in the 1970s in terms of his dreams of my father kind of lens that he wants to put on everything he meets with. And sometimes I just want him to sit back and go, hey, that's okay if you had a hard time with your dad and he wasn't your real dad or whatever, you know, sorry that happened to you, but how can you best move forward at this point? By dredging up perceptions of racism that you're imposing on other people from four decades ago? Or can we move forward and have a conversation about what a great man Clarence Clemens was and how fantastic he was as a performer and this special bond and relationship that he had with Bruce Springsteen? These were two of the greatest, you know, if you wanted to get two people on stage in the 1970s that would really put on a show, you couldn't ask for better than Bruce Springsteen and Clarence Clemens. Right, exactly. So there you go. So you you just read what the uh, what the best selling songs were back in the horribly, horribly, horribly white supremacist uh, '70s, and it turns out that the entire chart of records that white people were buying was composed almost exclusively of black people, except for the number one slot, who was a homosexual. No, no, um, and, and no it so, wasn't the entire chart, but. If- but it was like six or seven out of the top 20 were, were African-American artists and three of them in the top 10. Okay. It's significant number. Yes. Right? And, 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 and this is the thing about Barack Obama. It, when you really, really get down to it, the reason he, he is so destructive as he is is because he is expressing not – out of a desire to show how much racism America was. But what actually happened in that instant was, I think, personally, the the subconscious dynamic was here was a black guy and a white guy getting together and and living in harmony and having fun before I became president and came and (laughs) saved America from its racial divide. And that simply can't handle, can't handle it. That's exactly what happened, in my opinion, 100% what happened, in my opinion. That that billboard chart goes to show you that that you just Hitler didn't have of his top 10 books 
six of them were not written by Jews. You know what I'm saying? It's just plain, <laughs> it just plain defeats itself. And the final thing I'll say about this, just because I happen to notice it, because Barack Obama and now Bruce Springsteen is so obsessed with race, so obsessed, and the entire shtick in their book, Renegades, is essentially about this. It's about a white guy who's on the outside, who made friends with a black guy who's on the outside. And I'm looking at this interview and I am staring at it right now. And so help me God, Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama have precisely exactly the same skin color as one another, exactly <laughs> precisely the same. So all of this stuff is, is just an invention designed to separate us. Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama, as you can see in this image, you tell me which one's the white guy and which one's the black guy, because that's what the left is all about. When I watched Bruce Springsteen and Clarence Thomas, uh, Thomas, Clarence Clemens, I saw, I saw two talented guys who were grooving on each other as individuals and that is the idea of America. And that's what people like this awful, awful man and his pretty awful friend are out to destroy. And so that's why we're here. And we're made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com who pay to keep these shows coming. And uh, we could certainly use your help if you'd like to keep them coming yourself. You can go to BillWhittle.com and become a member. You can hit the one-time donation if you'd like. For Steve Green and Scott Ott, I'm Bill Whittle. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on Right Angle.